Welcome to the Hope Unlimited Church Podcast. We are so honored to connect with you, and we pray that you will be encouraged and inspired by this week's message. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 14. Hey, man, look at you. (laughs) You haven't been back there since the uh, Cedar Bluff days, right? Matthew's Gospel, chapter 14. I'm going to read a very uh, familiar story to you. <clears throat> I don't have a lot of, I don't have enough strength to uh, to yell a lot today, so you'll have to forgive me for that. We'll yell next week. That's important, right? Yelling when you're preaching, that's important. <clears throat> I was trying to explain to my uh, 13-year-old daughter about the preachers I grew up listening to, and uh She'll always ask me questions like, Dad, what was it like? Like it was back in the Jurassic era. What was it like way back then? And I, used to, and I would tell her stories about, I grew up with hacking preachers. I know what hacking preachers are. Bible and God. And nobody, oh God, somebody, she was like, why would they do that? And I said, honey, that's when you knew, knew the hand of God was on somebody. I said, it was either that or they had a faulty respiratory function. But either way, you were concerned about their overall health for the entirety of their sermon. And y'all know what I'm talking about? I can't hack this morning, so y'all have to bear with me. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 14, verse number 22. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get in the boat and go ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone, and the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. They were in a storm. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified and said, it's a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. Take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, you got to love this. Didn't March tell me to come on the water? Lord, if it's you, tell me to come to you on the water. He said, come. Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, yeah, Peter, tap the brakes, buddy. When he saw the wind, he was afraid and began to sink, and he cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, why did you doubt? You of little faith. Why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. I want to preach this morning on the subject, Leading in Turbulent Times. Leading in Turbulent Times. This is the best moment that I could think of in recent times for the church to be the church and lead. Okay. The church has to be the voice of calm in the middle of the chaos. 
Unfortunately, as far as I can tell, we've bought into the fear as well. Okay. These are just a couple of the things that I've seen from preachers on Facebook. You ready? You ready? Let me clarify this, and I don't have time to teach on this. Just, just trust me. The coronavirus and the book of Revelation have nothing to do with each other. Okay? Can I get a witness from somebody? For some reason, we desperately want this to be the end of time. We're like, oh, this is the big one. Everybody's going to die. Yes. I used to watch this in the movies in the late 90s. I know what's about to go down. Planes crashing into the ocean. And in case of rapture, this car will be unmanned. And nuclear bombs are just going to start. You do know we live in Knoxville. And there's a nuclear plant not too terribly far. So I wouldn't shout too loud. Right? Yes, this is it. The coronavirus in the book of Revelation have utterly no connection to one another. Part number two, the coronavirus and the plagues that God used to judge Egypt have nothing to do with each other. Don't it feel good just to go, I have read some of the most absurd things I've ever seen in my life. I read one preacher say, it is God, because it is primarily elderly people dying, it is God judging the elderly for their previous sins. Who would say such an awful, reprehensible thing? It's God judging them. Let me, let, me, let me show you how. Let me show you how to think properly about God. Okay? Let me show you how to think theologically about God. The primary, <clears throat> the primary picture the New Testament paints of God is this. The number one primary message that the New Testament is signaling to us is not that he is the God of the plagues. The message is he is love and he is good. All right? Now watch. Hang in here with me. Y'all with me? Can I teach you something real quick? Can I teach you something real quick? Whenever you speak about God, God is not a concrete being like this pulpit he's not a concrete thing your bible says god is a spirit he's not a concrete thing so whenever we talk about god we have to use what they call in theology analogical language what that means is is we have to talk about god by using analogy okay that's why he is in one part of the bible he's the rock that we lean on he's our father He's our shepherd. Jesus is the bride. He, we have to talk about him by way of analogy. That's how, it, that's how we function. That's how our relationship with God functions. That's how theological thinking functions. We talk about God by way of analogy. When we say that God is good, it can only mean good in the way that we understand good. Okay? 
Meaning, if you would not inflict your children with disease, God will not inflict his children with disease because we are good and God is good. Okay, Jesus even made this clear when he said this. If you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more does your father in heaven give good gifts to those that ask him? Okay. So good can only mean good. What we do is we have a, 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 a flawed way of even reading the Bible. We don't know how the Bible works. We don't know how the Bible's put together. And so we have all of these stories about genocide and plagues and killing and this, that, and then Jesus' love and laying down his life for sinners and eating with the prostitutes. And we, we have this discombobulated understanding of how God and the Bible even work. So we don't know if God's mad. We don't know if God's happy. We don't know if he's our father. We don't know if he's our judge. We have a completely distorted view of God. The greatest issue facing us today is not atheism. It's maltheism. Meaning we have a malformed view of who God is. And we ascribe to God's nature. Think about it. If you have the power to inflict your children with disease and you did it, we would call it evil. If you punish your child by giving them disease, you would be considered evil. And then we try in some kind of way to ascribe the same action to God and then call it good. Because we don't know how to think theologically and properly about God, we end up ascribing to God things that we would only ascribe to the most evil of men. So much so that some people have such a distorted view of God that he is morally inferior to Satan himself. God is good. And when we say the word good, that term, are y'all with me so far? Y'all getting worse? Y'all picking up what I'm putting down? That's how we say it now, man. That word good can only mean good in the way that your moral intelligence understands it to mean good. Well, now, brother, his ways are higher than our ways, and his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. Yes, his ways and thoughts infinitely transcend ours, but they are not infinitely contrary to ours. When we say God is good and his ways are higher than our ways, that means his goodness is bigger than what we know. His goodness is greater than what we know, but his goodness is not cruelty. And then we somehow ascribe the term goodness to it. You can't talk about God in that way. Clear? Are we we clear? So when we ascribe these actions to God... We are becoming the very voice that is going to make a nation in a generation run away from him rather than run to him. After all, grandmama died, but it was God and he's good. Make moral sense of that. Make moral sense of that. Y'all look uncomfortable. It's going to get worse. Make moral sense of that. God is good. Let me tell you another thing that I saw. This is God's judgment on gay marriage. Out of all the sins in America. That one. We've been aborting babies since 1972. God's been fine. But now gay people are getting married and he's had it. 
Do you see how we think about these things in these discombobulated, fragmentary ways? Let me, get, let me give you one more. Let me give you one more. People are going to get, this is interesting, people are going to get mad at this message because I'm trying to convince people God's good. They're like, how dare you? As the church, we have to lead in turbulent times, and there are three things we need to do. You with me? Number one, we need to be calm. We need to be calm. Need to be calm. Don't underreact. It is a real issue. Real people are dying. I could say something right now, make you mad, but I won't. All I'm going to say is it's a real problem. It's a real problem. All right? And you would have a completely different outlook if it was your grandparents dying. It's a real problem. It's a real problem. We can't underreact. However, we can't overreact. Everybody's not going to die. There's not going to be a shortage of food. There is going to be a shortage of toilet paper for a minute. Okay. And I don't know what to tell you about that. You better call on the name of the Lord. But we can't underreact. But we can't overreact. And feed the panic. And feed the fear. We have to be a voice of calm. We have to be a voice that is level-headed. Because, listen to me, calm is contagious. Calm is contagious. Panic it, you, can, you, can, you, can, you can replace that with any word. Panic is contagious. Right? Fear is contagious. Stupid, 100% contagious. Calm is contagious. And the, the world, to the point that the president declared a national day of prayer, the world is looking to the church to be the voice of calm that says, you know what? We need to be smart. We need to take certain precautions. But we're gonna come out of this, right? We don't need to be. We don't need to. Well, there ain't nothing to this. It's just a bunch of Democrats lying about. Stop all of that. Stop all of that. Stop it. There's a problem. It's not the end of the world. It's not the Book of Revelation problem. It's a problem. But we're not all gonna die. You got to be here in the middle. That's what we see Jesus doing. Jesus is walking on the water. There's another story where Jesus is asleep on a boat in the middle of a storm. So much peace that the chaos couldn't even wake him up. And then he gets up after they wake him up and he says, peace, be still. He could only speak peace to what was going on outside of him because he possessed peace that was going on on the inside of him. We have to have a peace that passes all understanding. It says, you know what? If you need to buy an extra case of toilet paper, buy it. For God's sake, wash your hands. I vote that that practice continue. I didn't know we were not washing our hands. I did not know we had to be told to wash our hands. Right? Don't sneeze in your hand and give a high five. Let's not do that. Buy some extra hand sanitizer if you need to. Don't go around a bunch of thousands of people for a minute if that's what it takes. But you have to have the peace on the inside before you can manifest the peace on the outside. We've got to be calm. 
got to be calm, right? It's funny. Sometimes if, if you read too much Facebook, we're going to have to put you in a padded room. Do one scroll. <laughs> the world is ending. Do another scroll. <laughs> Ain't nobody sick. Another scroll. Everybody's sick. I used to, this is what I used to do. I used to, I'd go watch the news and I would turn on Fox News and I would, I would watch it for a few minutes, listen to what they had to say. And then I turned over to CNN, listen to what they had to say. If I ever got bored, I'd turn on MSNBC for some comic relief. Then I go back. I shouldn't have said that. I shouldn't have said that. I'm sorry. But I would watch these two, and I'd hear these two different opinions. I was, it, is, it is absolutely fascinating how two groups of people can see the same situation completely different. And then the church needs to bring her voice to it that says, both of y'all wrong. Calm. Calm. We're not going to overreact. We're not going to underreact. We're going to be a voice of calm. We're going to be Jesus in the boat saying, peace, be still, because there's a peace that I have in here that I can manifest out there. The church has to be calm. Number two, the church has to be clear. We have to be clear. When I was younger in leadership, I used to think it was my job as a leader to remove from every leadership circumstance I found myself in. I thought it was my job to remove all uncertainty. But you can never remove all uncertainty. You can never remove that in any leadership capacity. I used to think if I was a good leader, I would know precisely what to do right now. Okay, I told one of my buddies this week, he said, what are y'all doing for church? I said, we're planning on having church. I said, I don't get the opportunity to exercise my how to pastor through a pandemic muscle very often. Right? But so far, we're going to have church, and we're going to be smart about it. Because when you are facing uncertainty, our job is not to bring certainty. Our job is to bring clarity. Because we cannot remove. It's the same thing that happens when a quarterback walks to the line. They don't know if the play that's been called is going to result in a touchdown or an interception. All they know is we are clear about our next move. So we have to be clear about our next move. It is not our job to be fully certain. But it is our job to be clear. This is what we're going to do. We're going to live life like we've been living it. Maybe make some adjustments where necessary because we want to be smart. We want to be wise. But we're going to live life the way we're going to be living. That We've always lived it. And then God's going to move. And we're going to see this thing blow right past us. And then life's going to be back to normal. That's, that's, what our, that's our play. That's our play. That's our place. And we're still going to preach the gospel and we're going to still help the people that we can and we're still going to believe God to heal the sick in Jesus' name. We're still going to declare nobody else is going to lose their life because of this disease. We're going to declare that it is broken by the power of God. We're going to declare Psalm 91. No plague shall befall you and no pestilence shall come near your dwelling. Come on, somebody. We're going to declare a thousand will fall at your right hand and ten thousand at your left, but it will not come near you. That's the play we're going to run. That's the play. Am I certain what will happen? No, but I am clear that's the play. That's the play. That's why Jesus stood up and he said, yo, yo, it's me. 
I'm I want you to be clear on this. This is me. You can be clear and uncertain at the same time. Okay? Because it takes it takes a mix of confidence and humility. It takes confidence to say this is the direction we're going, and it takes humility to say I don't know what the result's going to be, but this is the play. It's not our job to create certainty in the midst of certainty. It's our job to create clarity in the midst of certainty. Unless, unless we are mandated by our local authorities, we will, we will gladly comply with any directive they give us. Gladly. Unless they force a shutdown, we're going to have church next week too. That's the play we're running. And we're going to wipe everything down. You would be able to do heart surgery on the floor of the bathroom. We're going to wipe everything down somewhere. Okay? <laughs> Goldie and Candace are there like, listen, you could, you could transplant a brain in there and it would, you would be completely safe. That's the play we're going to run. We'll give elbows and some of these. That's the play we're going to run. And we're still going to worship God. And we're not going to buy into the panic. And there's going to be peace on the inside. And then we're going to have peace to distribute to everybody around us. Right? And your toilet paper is going to be restocked. Calm all the way down. Right. I know it's a rip- I live with three women. We have a standing rule at our house. Whenever you go to the grocery store, it doesn't matter what you're going to get. You also buy additional toilet paper. You can go buy a stick of gum and toilet paper. You need to go buy some chicken and some toilet paper. Because I have never seen humans consume those goods at that level. We're clear. We're calm. Number three, we're courageous. We're courageous. Lord, if it's you, bid me come on the water. There is a difference between being courageous and stupid. There is a difference between operating in wisdom and operating in fear. And there is a difference between being courageous and being dumb. The difference for Peter, Peter would have been dumb to walk out on that water without a word. But it is courageous when you start stepping into some things based on his word. We always tell people that Peter walked on the water. Peter did not walk on the water. Peter was walking on the word. That word shot out of Jesus' mouth and shot across the top of that water like an invisible plank. And Peter was not walking on top of the water. He was walking on the word. And when you are courageous and we have a word from God, we can walk on top of what is sinking everybody else. I fully expect the church to rise up in this panic and in this circumstance and say hey we're gonna be okay we're gonna be okay because we got a promise our job is to renew the earth our job is to bring his kingdom to come his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven think think about that listen think about that jesus said when you get ready to pray pray like this your kingdom come your will be done 
on earth as it's done in heaven. This is what he's saying. I want you to turn the earth into heaven. I want you to make earth look like heaven. And then we will say that, pray that, shout that, and then say something crazy like, God is sending a plague to the earth. There are no plagues in heaven that God can send to the earth. That's not in heaven. God is trying to renew the earth, not curse the earth. You hearing what I'm saying? So we're going to be courageous. We're going to say, you know what? We're not going to live in fear because we've got God's word on it. What's God's word? I've already told you. It's not going to come near us. What's God's word? He compasses us about with songs of deliverance. What's God's word? He has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. So I'm not going to lock myself up in my house waiting for the earth to burn. Not because I'm not being wise, but because I've got God's word on it and I'm being courageous. Stand on your feet. I remember, I think, I think, I say I'm 37. I have, I have lived through nine or ten end-of-the-world scenarios, right? Y'all have to. I remember, I remember being a kid in elementary school having to hide under the desk because Russia was going to shoot a bomb. Y'all remember that? Y'all remember that? I remember Y2K. You have never... You have, there are still Y2K books on Amazon that you can buy. That's 20 years ago. How to prepare for the end. How many people in here, you were born after 2000? Nobody? Y'all all old? Okay. I remember I was graduating the year 2000. I thought, this is it. This is, because we were preaching it. This is the book. This is it. The seals have been opened in the book of Revelation and the trumpets have blown and the vials are being poured out of the wrath of God and Armageddon is starting and there's going to be blood up to the horse's bridles and I'm 17 going my God and they were like praise him because he's good and we did it with that attitude they're praising We're going to be fine. It's going to be fine. Hopefully, in a couple of weeks, we're going to look back and say, man, we feel dumb. (laughs) We thought the world was burning down. And it's not. There is an issue. There's a legitimate problem. And we need to be wise. We need to pray. But it's not... You know, a third of the over the trees. This is in Revelation. A third of the trees are burned up, and a third of the ocean dies. Then wormwood falls out of heaven and strikes the planet. All the stuff that we get really excited about. We for we we don't believe. Listen, we don't believe God is that vengeful. Listen. We believe we're supposed to believe God is that vengeful. We don't, we don't think that. Not about the God that you know. 
Not about the God that pulled you out of your situation and out of your circumstance. Not the God that's been better to you than you've been to yourself. Not the God that when you stumble and fall, he picks you up and brushes you off and puts the ring back on your finger. Not that God. We don't think that about, we don't think God is that vengeful. We think we're supposed to think God is that vengeful. So we are committed to things that we don't really even believe. We're committed to theologies and ways of thinking about God that we don't even believe are true. He's a good God. Now, he, he, listen, he will chasten those he loves. I'm not saying he's a pushover. He's a good father. And he will chasten those he loves, but not kill them. If Asher stole a cookie and I threw him in the oven, would you call that good or evil? It would be evil. But then when we preach God does it, we attach the word good to it. And to morally thinking people, we how does that make any sense? He chastens those he loves. He chastens those he loves. Thank you for listening to this week's message. If you enjoyed this podcast and would like to give, please visit hopeunlimited.church slash give. To stay connected, follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Hope Unlimited Church.